Iowa's News Now Sports brings you black and gold glory. Your all-access pass to all things Hawkeyes. This is Eye on the Hawks. You know, a lot of talk about 200 uh, the last couple days, and uh, I could throw out a number two also, and uh, that would be two as in losses to Western Michigan since I've been here. So um, kind of give a little perspective here about, you know, what, what our chore is this week. You've got to respect that opponent. Kirk tells us every week, even if that opponent gave up 45 points in the first half last week. Welcome to Eye on the Hawks. Our guest this week is Marquette University's finest, John Steppy, Hawkeye reporter for the Cedar Rapids Gazette. John, we thank you for joining us here. Yeah, this thanks for having me. You bet. Well, uh, scale of one to 10, John, first tell us how you'd rate the Hawkeyes over their first couple weeks. How do you think they've looked? I would give two different numbers based on whether we're talking <laughs> uh -huh. offense or defense, which pretty much applies for any season with Iowa. I would say defensively, I'd probably put them at about seven and a half to an eight. Mm -hmm. I think it's been not quite to the elite level that we saw last year, but still very good. Offensively, I'd put them at maybe a three right now with reason for optimism for that to potentially go up. But you look at what they've done, it just has not been tremendous. You look at where they are yards per play, among the worst in the country mm. still. Of course, Cade McNamara hasn't been totally healthy until this week. That could really change things. Yeah. But when you have that issue, when you have the run blocking issue, it can be a lot to, it's been a problem yeah. so far. You're not going to be able to get away with the <laughs> offensive effort that they've had the last two weeks when you're playing Penn State or when you're playing Wisconsin, that's just not going to be the case. Lucky for them, they're playing Western Michigan this week. Well, yes. 12 teams in the MAC, only one that has a winning record against Iowa. That's Western Michigan, who comes to Kinnick Stadium on Saturday. The Broncos beat Coach Ferentz and Iowa in 2000 and 2007. Iowa got them back in 2013 with a 59 to three win, but with a one and two mark against the Broncos, the Hawkeyes are still keeping their eyes focused no farther than the Saturday in front of them. They play a little bit of a funky defense with how they have two safeties like roll to the same side of the field sometimes, which is a little bit unusual from what we've seen. But figuring out their tendencies and stuff like that is, is what we'll have to do this week as well. They're very multiple in their attack. I mean, they got a lot of inside zone. They got a lot of just gap scheme plays, but they also have uh, a lot of perimeter plays where they can get the ball out to some playmakers. So I think that they do a lot of good things uh, within their scheme and we'll have to be ready for all those challenges. Curtis is going to go into a little bit more detail about Western Michigan later in the show. For now, though, John, in your time covering Iowa, have you ever seen them overlook an opponent? This seems like something that uh, the Hawkeyes never seem to do with Coach Ferentz at the helm. Yeah, since I took over on the beat in 2021, you really haven't seen them. Now, historically, you can go farther back to those two Western Michigan games that Kirk was mm -hmm. talking about in that quote. But in terms of recent years, what we've seen in 2021, 2022, yeah, we have not seen that entirely. There have been some close calls. South Dakota State, you'd definitely say it was a close call. You'd say Utah State was maybe a little closer of a call than you would have liked. But yeah, they haven't totally overlooked a team. And That's just not the Kurt Ferentz way. And those Western Michigan teams were a little bit different than what they're bringing to the table this year. Well, it, it could be a Saturday where Iowa's offense can feast. 44 points through two games has been enough to get the wins but not knocking anybody's socks off. Mitch Fick has more on an emerging offense that's possibly on the cusp of something big. It might not be the gangbusters 180 from 2022 that Hawkeye fans were hoping and dreaming for, but the Iowa offense is notably better through two games in 2023. They've got more yards, they've got more touchdowns, they've got more explosive plays. 
They've been real close to a couple of other big plays too. And with Cade McNamara getting healthier and getting more time with this offense, the feeling is that this could be a breakout week for Iowa. There are multiple times that, you know, we're like a foot away from having a big play, you know, and I think, I mean, some of that stuff is just like, you know, I, I just think we're that close. I think whether it's the first game or last game, we're really close to the score being a lot different than what it is. It's such small misses, it's such small assignments, and that play a bigger role in things, but we know that if we handle those situations and we've been working hard and like watching film and trying to get those things, staying at the practice, getting different catches, getting different situations to make sure that when we're in that situation again, it goes the way we want it to go. Just getting everybody on the same page is, is what we need, and I think we're close to getting it, and we're going to keep pushing and working our off to get there and I'm, I'm super optimistic about this offense. Another big improvement through two weeks for the Hawkeyes, pass protection. Cade's only been sacked twice so far in 2023. He has had a ton of space in the pocket to pass a lot of times. O-lineman Nick DeYoung told me Tuesday that was a huge focus for Iowa in the offseason. He says they are happy with what they've seen and done so far, but they're not satisfied. Plenty of games left, starting with Saturday against Western Michigan, a team that's hit the quarterback five times this season for loss, but a team that's also given up more than 30 points a game and almost 400 yards a game. For Eye on the Hawks, I'm Mitch Fick. Well, if we learned anything from Saturday, it's that this Hawkeye team has enough weapons to spread the ball around. Jazz Patterson certainly announced his presence to the Big Ten, but he's a guy who's long been impressing his teammates in practice. That dude is relentless. I think he is. Um, he's willing to give up his body no matter if there's a gap there or not. I mean, he runs so hard. He's a guy who practices really hard, um, loves the game of football. <laughs> I mean, you can tell that just the way with the way he runs. And, you know, we had a... Uh, a third down, third and short uh, last week, and and he he got the first down, but you could tell he was he was he wanted more. I'm really just like a down here running, so it's like you know we get in situations like third and one, those type of like situations. I feel like I could bring a very important asset. Who was that handsome guy in the background of that? Nick DeYoung interview. Well, John, we've already seen three different tailbacks getting carries in Jazz, Caleb Johnson, and LaShawn Williams in that breakout game on Saturday. What did Jazz really do that impressed you personally? Really, you look back at that 59-yard play, and granted, Connor Colby, Cedar Rapids native, was the <laughs> one to really open up that hole, but the way that Jazz was able to take advantage just was, you know, like a bolt of lightning there yeah. through that. And that really made a big difference there in terms of that play, that breakout speed. That would have been a touchdown had he not looked back. And he was mentioning how next time, yeah, he's not looking back <laughs> at TJ Tampa. Otherwise, Tampa's a good safety, but he's not catching up to Jazz at that point. Yeah. So you look at it, downhill runner, the pass protection too is something that I'd be remiss to not mention, mm -hmm. where usually that's something that you see running backs pick up later on. And he does that right away. He had that one play where he takes out two yeah. <laughs> defenders yes. just like that. And, yeah, you don't see that from redshirt freshmen every day. A few guys talked about that play in particular, and even Jazz was asked about that after the game, that that was intentional. He meant to do that. He knew what he was doing there. Uh, from what you've seen out of the tailbacks, has Jazz emerged as RB1? Do you think that Caleb is still their number one running back? Is it going to be LaShawn? Or how is this depth taking place right now? I think Caleb is still probably RB1 right okay. now. In terms of behind that, you have options. I think you could see some games where LaShawn really seems like 
RB2. There are some games where Jazz really seems like RB2, or the production that he had was even RB1 level. Mm -hmm. yep. But I think it's going to fluctuate a little bit, and that's really a luxury that not a ton of teams have in terms of being able to rely on three different guys who each provide something a little different to that running back room. So it's going to be interesting to see as long as the run blocking is solid up ahead, there's a lot of potential for this running back room. Probably the most disappointing thing, I think the uh, panel that heard the appeal had an opportunity to really do something, uh, you know, make a decision that to me would reflect uh, reason and also reflect uh, the changing environment and, um, you know, they failed to do so. Kirk Ferentz has not been shy about his feelings about how the NCAA has handled this entire Noah Shannon investigation. John Steppy with us now from uh, the Cedar Rapids Gazette, the Hawkeye reporter. John, uh, overall, Kirk has said nothing but glowing things about Noah Shannon and his character. Is that the impression that you've gotten about Noah so far? Yeah, every interaction that I've had, every interaction I think probably the rest of the media corps has had, has been really impressive in terms of the character that Noah has, really a class act with everything he does, all of his interactions with media. I hear it from fans, too, in terms of his interactions with them. So, yeah, everything that Kirk has said lines up with what we've seen and heard about Noah. So it's a really unfortunate situation. That's off the field. On the field, though, what does Iowa lose defensively knowing that Noah's not going to be back this season? Yeah, anytime that you lose a two-year starter on the defensive line, that's significant. You're not going to have that many three-year starters. And, of course, Iowa's defensive line has a lot of experience, more depth than probably any other position group. So that is the benefit of it is you have guys like Y.A. Black. You have guys like Aaron Graves. You have a guy like Jeremiah Pittman that Kirk Ferentz went out of his way to mention yesterday in his press conference. So you have options there at defensive tackle. It's going to take a little bit of time to get them totally up to speed to the level that Noah Shannon was. And you're not going to get exactly Noah Shannon 2.0 <laughs> with these guys. Yeah. But you've got a lot of guys that can make plays. And the more of them that can, this isn't just going to be a one guy filling in the void here. The more that they have people stepping up, especially considering how this Iowa defensive line rotates guys in and out, the better, especially when we're talking week 11, week 12, to have somebody like Pittman, like Graves, like Black, and really going down the list even beyond that, that really will make a big difference. Yeah, one of those beefy boys up front to fill in the hole left by Noah Shannon, that's Joe Evans, one of the four captains on this year's team, an Ames native who was the first to get his hands on the Cyhawk Trophy on Saturday. That meant the world to me. Um, we were all swarming over, and that was a big emphasis um, just for me and a lot of the guys to just swarm over and grab the trophy. Just for them to um, let me go grab that trophy, just how much that meant to me, you know, being from Ames and just grabbing that trophy and embracing with those guys is something I'll never forget. For him to come back home and get the win, I know that this was something that, you know, he definitely had in mind coming back, you know, one more year. He's a Heart and soul guy, you know, he just he, from the day he walked on campus, he's just been a hard working, uh, high motor guy. And that's, that's, you know, that serves, you know, fits well when you're playing football. Now, if it wasn't evident in prior seasons, Joe has proven it that this year that he is perhaps the emotional anchor of this team. John, what have you seen out of him this year that really has made him stand out on the field? Yeah, certainly off the field, you could talk about his leadership for yeah. a whole show. Yeah. But on the field, really somebody that's been productive, that really provides a boost off the edge. He hasn't had huge sack numbers so far this year. Really, the entire defensive line has, and only one sack through the first two games. 
But when you take a closer look at that Iowa State game, there were plays where, okay, this doesn't necessarily show up on the stat sheet, but that was a really good play. There were a couple times where I said that while watching mm -hmm. the replay. There's a time where Becht had to scramble for only a couple yard gain on like a third and 11 or some kind of third and long situation. So that makes a difference where, okay, that doesn't show up on the stat sheet as a sack, but that's a win for Iowa's defense. And you're seeing a lot of winning plays sometimes that show up on the stat line, sometimes mm -hmm. that don't from Evans, and a lot of leadership as well. Would it be blasphemous to call him this year's version of Jack Campbell? Maybe not on the field, but as far as a leadership role and personality-wise? Yeah, absolutely. I think you look back to what Kirk Ferentz said, I think it was about a week ago, where if you didn't have guys like Jack Campbell on this team, you'd be talking about a team that would have had Joe Evans as a captain mm -hmm. because he's provided this leadership for a while. It was just a matter of when you look back at that senior class that graduated last year, a lot of leaders in that group. Yeah. So that's probably the only reason why Joe Evans wasn't the captain before the season. It's been a long time since we've seen game action with Jamari Harris. January 1st, 2022 was his last time on the field for the Hawkeyes. An injury and a two-game suspension have kept him off of the field until this Saturday when he joins an already elite defensive unit for Iowa. You know, he's happy to be back. Um, you can tell football means the world to him. So obviously, when he's gotten that opportunity back, he's just did nothing but run with it. We're just really excited to have him back. I mean, he's just a tremendous football player and an even better person. So I'm just really excited to have him on the field and um, for his leadership to be out there too. He's an experienced vet. He's had a great fall camp. And just every single day, like, having that and having that depth at that position too is big too. We're back on Eye on the Hawks with John Steppy from the Cedar Rapids Gazette. John, is it possible that this Iowa defense could get even better now that they have Jamari Harris back on the field? Yeah, when any time that you gain somebody with the starting experience that Jamari's had, granted it was back a while ago, back in 2021, but whenever you have that experience, that's going to make a big difference, especially when you have already guys like Cooper DeGene, Xavier Wampa, Sebastian Castro, who's shown significant improvement as well, and how could I forget Quinn Schulte either? <laughs> You have a lot of guys back there that yeah. can really make a difference. And now you add somebody with starting experience like Jamari. Yeah, and now it could take a little bit of time before he really gets back to what he was in 2021. It's been a while since January 1st, 2022. <laughs> yeah. So it's going to take some time probably to get him totally up to game speed, but certainly a big addition. In his absence, Deshaun Lee has looked so good these last couple of games. What happens to him now? Does he just take a backseat to Jamari or what? Yeah, I think right now you just look at him as a second-team defensive back and a good sign that you have that depth in the secondary, something that they didn't have last year against Nebraska. So that makes a big difference. But long-term injuries happen. Mm -hmm. We've seen it year after year. You can just go down the list. Terry Roberts is the perfect example of a guy who seemed to never be healthy the last two yeah. years. And he would have been a starter last year had he been healthy. So you look at it and you're just naturally going to have situations where you're going to need that second team guy. Mm -hmm. So it isn't like Deshaun Lee all of a sudden is, okay, you're sitting on the bench. Yeah. Thanks to your contributions the first two weeks. Yeah. Got to imagine we'll still see a lot of him on the field. Yeah. Well, Sebastian Castro is gradually getting even better every week. First pick six of the season went to Seb on Saturday against the Cyclones. The senior may add just another layer to an already dangerous Iowa secondary. 
he was a missile out there. Like he, he was, uh, he, go, he went hard. I thought he did a really nice job last year for us and just really excited to watch him play all season long. He's, he's an aggressive guy, he's totally uh, committed and you know, 100% on board and just, boy, he's an, he's an aggressive, tough guy. John, you maybe haven't covered the Hawkeyes as long as some of those other folks in the press room, but in your experience with this team, is this the best Iowa secondary that you've seen in your time covering them? I'd be hesitant to say quite that much. You <laughs> okay. think about some of the guys that they've had in the secondary. Even you look back at last year when you have Kayvon Merriweather, mm -hmm. an NFL caliber guy, when you've got Riley Moss, an NFL caliber guy. Yeah, they've had some pretty good secondaries. Mm -hmm. So I'm a little hesitant to say the best, but it really is a strength of this team yet again. We'll see if it can get quite up to... 2021 levels where they had I think it's 25 interceptions in one season so they've had some really good secondaries but this is at least in the conversation I'd fair, say fair enough and maybe you've answered this question already earlier in the show I was going to ask if you thought this is the deepest part of their lineup but you seem to say that maybe the defensive line is the deepest part of their lineup yeah I think before Noah Shannon's suspension I would have definitely said the defensive line hmm. now I'd say it's probably actually the tight end room I yeah. think would be the deepest when you look at it you have a fourth string guy Steven Stilianos who can make plays <laughs> like you just don't hear from the, any places that have a fourth string tight end yeah. who's really able to contribute the way that he's been able to contribute and you can go into 14 personnel where you have one running back four tight ends on the field because you have that depth there and it isn't like it's well tracked here, but I would imagine there are not many other Power 5 programs that have had that luxury. When you have Luke Lachey, Eric Hall, mm -hmm. Addison Ostranga, he's really made a lot of plays and has really looked impressive at times as well. And then Stilianos is your fourth string guy. So yeah, I'd say tight end has to be the deepest. Uh, so many good tight ends, you can even start moving them over to fullback if you need to. <laughs> <laughs> well, that guy, Hayden Large, he's a Michigan native. Speaking of Michigan, those Western Michigan Broncos are coming off a one-sided loss to Syracuse last Saturday. P.J. Flex, former squad, is 1-1 one one this year. Curtis Fader now to let us know if the Broncos are a team to be wary of come Saturday. Iowa's final non-conference opponents from the MAC, Western Michigan, 5-7 record last year, has some new faces, both sides of the ball, and also a new head coach. One player fresh on the scene that can cause Iowa troubles, running back Jalen Buckley. Buckley, through two games, has rushed for 281 yards, two touchdowns one of which was a 75-yard TD run on the second play of the game last week against Syracuse. He had limited action in 2022, but is fully integrated in this Broncos offense this year, getting a whopping 30 carries in Week 1's win against St. Francis. This Hawkeye defense is facing yet another fast-paced offense. This unit that has averaged less than 14 points against per game seems fully prepared. Um, they got some tempo, um, and I felt like we handled the tempo well against Utah State. I mean, those guys were going pretty fast and um, I felt like our communication was handled well um, and you know they got a new coaching staff and uh, they did really well week one um, and we you know we respect all our opponents and so knowing that uh, any offense we can play how they can hurt us so you know we're, they're going to get our best game we're going to come prepared as usual. As for the Western Michigan defense, to quote Seth Anderson from a week ago, lots of opportunity. The Broncos play very well against the run or very aggressive in the box, but that can open up some passing lanes to exploit, and this defense has been burned plenty of times from it. Considering that this unorthodox Western Michigan D got torn up by St. Francis on multiple occasions, receivers like Nico Ragini should be licking their chops for a big day, but the Hawkeye offense is staying vigilant. They run a little bit of a funky defense with like two safeties coming over to one side sometimes, which could be a little confusing. Uh, 
but last week we saw a defense we see once a year and so it's going to be like that all year where we see something new and it's just on us to prepare and to get ready for the game. Fans should once again expect some electric plays on the field Saturday and if somehow the Hawkeyes do not put up at least 25 points against a middle of the road max school at home, there will be some serious questions on the capability of this Iowa offense. I'm Curtis Fader, Eye on the Hawks. Well, John, Curtis is talking these guys up a whole lot, but uh, from what you've seen out there on tape, is there much to be concerned about this Saturday? I think you can't totally overlook any team, but this is not going to be the most difficult team. As I was looking back, even as far back as July, and I was thinking, okay, who are the teams that could potentially be a threat to Iowa? I probably would have ranked Western Michigan 12th out of 12. <laughs> okay. So this is not the most talented team by any means that Iowa goes up against this season. But I think it's an important tune-up opportunity because the margin for error is going to be a lot less in two weeks against Penn State. A few weeks ago, David Eichold apparently was being played in the Utah State locker room after he said that they were a team not to be too worried about. Uh, any other bulletin board material that you'd like to give us? Anything you want to go viral about now for Western Michigan? <laughs> yeah, I'd say this probably isn't the best team that Iowa is going <laughs> to go up against. And if that's bulletin board material for Western Michigan, good for the Broncos there. Good for the Broncos, good for the MAC, but uh, possibly not going to be Iowa's most competitive games come Saturday. Good maybe tune-up opportunity for Penn State. Yeah, good opportunity maybe too for Brian Ferentz to get his points up. That's what we're kind of watching right now. It would be the first time of the season they reach that 25-point benchmark. Well, we've got still more after the break. John and I make our picks for the week, and we hear some measured and sound responses from Nico Ragaini on the lack of a PI call over the weekend. That's after the break on Eye on the Hawks. What's the NCAA or Big Ten going to find me if I say that's a horse <laughs> call or what? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I probably shouldn't have dropped an F-bomb in there, but God. I mean, ball doesn't lie. We got the pick six the next play, so we made up for it. Nico putting me into overtime hours, just dropping all his swears. Check out my Twitter page to see the NSFW version. Nico talking about a pass interference no call. John Steppy still in from the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Telling me right now, was this play P.I. in your opinion? There was certainly a lot of contact. They were letting them play at various other points. But yeah, if I was wearing the striped uniform, I think the flag would come out. Uh, was that your response in the booth? You heard what Nico said. Uh, did you see the same thing when you saw that call? <laughs> I probably wasn't thinking that in as harsh of terms. I was thinking, wow, they are really letting them play. Uh, that's, a, that's a way to put it that maybe Kirk would have preferred Nico put it that way. Well, finally, we, before we wrap up, John, let's pick some games here for week three. Big noon kickoff on Fox 28 this week. Seventh-ranked Penn State traveling to Champaign, Illinois. 14.5-point dogs at home. Who you got against a team that I was going to see next week? I got Penn State. I think they take care of business here. Illinois has not looked spectacular these last two weeks. Yeah, really surprising to see Illinois struggle so much over the first two weeks. Got to go with Penn State in this one, too. Maybe the most interesting Big Ten West game this week, Minnesota heading to Chapel Hill to take on a ranked North Carolina team. The Gophers, seven-point underdogs. Who wins this one? I'm going to go with North Carolina again. I'm not too keen on Big Ten West, clearly, this week. Yeah, North Carolina's looked good over the first couple weeks and got to think that they've got the edge against Minnesota. Nebraska, 0-2, hosting Northern Illinois. Another Big Ten West against a MAC uh, showdown. The Huskies lost to Southern Illinois last week, an FCS team becoming the first FBS team to lose to an FCS squad this year. John, does Nebraska get their first win of the year, and maybe do they cover those 11 points? 
Yeah, I think so. I think this is win number one for Rule. Northern <laughs> Illinois is a far cry from the two teams that Nebraska has faced the last two weeks. Garrett Wolf is not walking through that door. Well, finally, Iowa is a massive 28.5 favorite to Western Michigan. John, can Iowa score those 28 points? Who you got in the? Uh, I know who you got in this one, but w will they cover those 28 and a half points? Do you think? I'm gonna say that they don't, but okay. just barely. My current score prediction is 31-3, which would be just missing out on covering by a half a point. Okay. I, I, have, I have been wrong about them covering the last couple of weeks, so this does feel like a one that they could really start to light it up just based on what we've seen out of Western Michigan's defense. So I think they do cover that one. That, that was kind of my next question. Do you think Western Michigan scores? Do you think that maybe they get a field goal out of this one? Yeah, I think maybe a field goal, maybe a touchdown, maybe the defense makes some mistake that Phil Parker will mm -hmm. have them – hearing about a few times in the following week. But yeah, I think Iowa takes care of business here. If, if nothing else, they'll probably be putting those subs in late in the game. So possibly a fourth quarter touchdown there for Western. Like we've seen the last couple weeks out of Utah State and Iowa State against Iowa. Well, that does it for week three of Eye on the Hawks. Scan the QR code on the screens to download. Subscribe and listen to the Eye on the Hawks podcast. We've got a preview coming up and also have an extended version of the show you're watching right now with John Steppe. Ready for download? It's available wherever you get your podcasts. Every week we're going to be doing a live stream on YouTube reacting to the Iowa game. This week we're aiming to start at noon on Sunday. You can follow along at Iowa's News Now on YouTube. We'll send out the link from our Eye on the Hawks Twitter account. That's it. John Steppy, thanks again for joining us. Appreciate having you in the studio yes, today. Yes, thanks for having me. All right, see you next week.